For more than three decades, individuals and couples have presented their brokenness to me, hoping that in defiance of what happened to Humpty Dumpty, I can, in fact, help to put them back together again. That sense of brokenness assumes many different forms, depression, panic, loneliness, addiction, pain, fear, rejection, shame, obsession and rumination, anxiety, betrayal, loss and grief, unrequited love, anger and violence, physical illness, abuse. These are just some of the names by which people's brokenness presents. In each instance, people present with destructive biases that serve to reinforce the sense of brokenness that they carry. One common bias arises when someone has adopted a negative self-view expressed by someone else or some other people in their lives, often an important someone else. When the other expresses sentiments such as, you are horrible, you are unworthy, you don't even matter, brokenness emerges over time. Being on the receiving end of such sentiments leads people to come to believe that what the other or others have said is actually true. On the other hand, and despite what kinder people lovingly or pleadingly say, that toxic self-denigrating belief persists, poisoning a person's ability to fully appreciate their own worth. A person can maintain a self-view of being so flawed or undeserving that the other person or persons who are actually spouting love and expressing an accepting message must, of course, be wrong. How could it be otherwise? We end up holding on to the belief that reinforces the brokenness. Sadly, a variation that is both sad and toxic is when an individual maintains the view that the other person or other people are undeserving, unworthy, or just plain unlovable. Yes, it's true, we can give just as toxically as we receive. But regardless of who spews the poison, the result is that both the speaker and the person spoken to end up being wounded. The result of maintaining such distorted views is to perpetuate the very views that are causing the personal and social brokenness in the first place. Hello again, and welcome to Therapy Thoughts. I'm your host, Dr. David Alter, clinical psychologist and neuropsychologist. Today, I'll be talking about how to get beyond the limiting and distorted views that maintain many forms of brokenness, of unhappiness, and of disconnection. Back in 1951, the famous duo of Rodgers and Hammerstein created a musical called The King and I. In it, there's a song with the following lyrics. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you, 
getting to like you, getting to hope you like me, getting to know you, putting it my way but nicely, you are precisely my cup of tea, getting to know you, getting to feel free and easy when I'm with you, getting to know what to say, haven't you noticed? Suddenly I'm bright and breezy because of all the beautiful and new things I'm learning about you day by day. Yes, it's just a romantic musical with a living happily ever after ending, but that doesn't really negate the important message that it contains. To put it simply, the song contains three essential truths. The first is that learning about someone takes time. The singer is getting to know the other. There are no snap judgments or conclusions. There's no jumping to a superficial determination of what's true. Getting to know each other takes time. The second takeaway is that the song conveys the idea that getting to know someone involves stepping into a mutual connection. It's not a one-way street. Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. There it is. The bilaterality of the learning process is explicit. I can't really know you without being known by you. A healthy and loving relationship can only emerge in the context of the two-way vulnerability and transparency of seeing and being seen of reading the other and being read by them. It's in the give and take, much of which occurs very rapidly, in milliseconds in fact, outside of conscious awareness that a felt sense of safety, security, and trust can begin to emerge and expand over time to form lasting bonds. The third important truth is found in the line, because of all the beautiful and new things I'm learning about you. In healthy relationships, there's a constant and ongoing evolution, a growing of what we knew into what we discover, what we believed in, what we learned to accept as a new mystery, an ever unfolding mystery that takes place over weeks and months and years and decades. Learning to be in relationship is an ongoing, ever-unfolding learning process. In his recently released book, How to Know a Person, author and pundit David Brooks said, being open-hearted is a prerequisite for being a full, kind, and wise human being. Well, that's great, but how? Well, he goes on to say the real act of building a friendship or creating a community involves performing a series of small, concrete social actions well, disagreeing without poisoning the relationship, revealing vulnerability at the appropriate pace, being a good listener, knowing how to end a conversation gracefully, 
knowing how to ask for and offer forgiveness, knowing how to let someone down without breaking their heart, knowing how to sit with someone who is suffering, knowing how to host a gathering where everyone feels embraced, knowing how to see things from another's point of view. Well, I wholeheartedly agree. In episode two of this podcast, I spoke about the dangers of othering, of acting toward others through a lens that views them as alien, as so negatively and strangely different as to somehow deserve less, to be worth less, and to be readily dismissed. What's true on the person-to-person level is also true at the level of communities and nations. I'd even say it applies at the level of people to the planet that we all share. Because if we really want to get to know the other, we need to adopt a stance that presumes that there's much we can learn from the other. This involves an open-minded curiosity that motivates us to discover how the other thinks, believes, feels, values, desires, acts, loves, and cries. While our curiosity may lead us to find much with which we disagree or even find distasteful, my experience honed through over 35 years of clinical practice is that despite the disagreements, there's much that we share. Despite the many sources of disconnection, there are even more points of common connection. Way back in 1960, John F. Kennedy debated Richard M. Nixon in the nation's first televised debate. These two candidates, history has shown, could not have been more different. And yet, in a public debate that makes today's televised, multi-candidate, uncouth free-for-alls, Nixon said, in response to JFK, something to the effect that Kennedy and I actually agree on the goals we seek for America. We merely disagree on the methods by which we achieve them. Going back to David Brooks, we remember that he said, the skill of forming connections, the connections that form healthy interpersonal relationships, and the connections that stabilize a sharply polarized nation, the skill is to, as our Constitution declares, to form a more perfect union to learn to disagree without poisoning the underlying relationship. Day in and day out, efforts to form a more perfect union is what the core of my therapeutic efforts are directed toward. Sometimes the union is between partners and spouses, sometimes between parents and children, regardless of the age of those parents and children. But you know what? Just as often, it's the union between different parts of the self, of the individual, that are often tragically engaged in a seemingly endless war.
Getting to know one another and getting to better know ourselves is less about insights and understandings. Instead, as Alain de Botton, author of The School of Life, said, the emotionally intelligent person knows that love is a skill, not a feeling, and will require trust, vulnerability, generosity, humor, sexual understanding, and selective resignation. The skill of exhibiting emotional intelligence also involves an acknowledgement of our very human limits. We will no more always get it right when seeking to get to know one another than we would select the right numbers for a lottery ticket that guarantees that we'll win the jackpot. Strangely, the more we can accept that we'll often get it wrong, the more we can cultivate a caring humility mixed with loving curiosity. The more likely we are to emerge from uh, an encounter with a deeper and more enduring sense of the strength of our bond with each other, our lasting connection. We can agree to disagree, we can modify our attitudes and behaviors, we can learn the skill of apologizing and forgiving, and through it all we can become more whole and more wholly human. Until next time, take care and be well.